Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. We are here to shift the paradigm of business and marketing and social media in this digital age of infinite possibility and bridge our inner technology, our intuition with outer technology through rituals, personal development tools, conscious business practices, spiritual tools, and the magical tool of social media. I am your host, Xenia, storyteller, conscious social media teacher, speaker, and a multidimensional traveler. Welcome to the new paradigm. Welcome back to Woken Wired. I am your host, Xenia, and today my guest is Sky Melter, a mission-driven leader and entrepreneur with over 20 years of global consumer investment and management experience. You may not heard his name yet, but you certainly have heard of some of the brands that he has built. Sky was the CEO of Manduka, where he led the company from the founder's garage, he does tell that story in this episode, to become the global leader worldwide for technical yoga equipment. Under his leadership, the company grew revenue by over 40 times, and had two successful private equity exits. Sky is the founder and executive chairman of WellSet. We get into how it is revolutionizing marketing for healers. And he also was the vice president of marketing and business development for YogaWorks. He currently serves as a board member of YogaWorks, PearSport, and Manduka. He's an investor and advisor to several wellness and tech startups. Sky lives in Los Angeles with his wife and four kids. We talk about the miracle of aliveness, growing up with parents who were into alternative medicine and healing, how to choose business opportunities, running a purpose-driven business, knowing your value, the consciousness of business, pioneering conscious leadership, and using intuition as a compass as you make your decisions, growing your capacity for calling in opportunities, the power of meditation, and the top lessons in Sky's career so far. Enjoy this episode, and please share your takeaways and tag at Wired on Instagram so that I can see what you are getting from this conversation. And to make sure you add episode 16 to your podcast queue, It's with Gina Murdoch, founder of Lead With Love, the conference where Sky and I both spoke, and that's how we got connected. It's a conversation that still is very much alive with me years later because it approaches activism and redefines activism. I'm not going to say more. Just make sure you add episode 16 of Woken Wired to your queue and let me know what you get from it. Before we get to the interview, I want to quickly tell you about ConsciousSocialMediaMethod.com. That is the website where you can find all of my workshops and courses so that you can take all the mindset and inspiration that you get on this podcast and put it into your actions, in your business, in your creative self-expression in the world in a way that doesn't have to fit into the old paradigm of business and marketing. All of the workshops and courses are on ConsciousSocialMediaMethod.com. Go and check it out and see if anything speaks to you. And if you haven't yet taken the five-day challenge, Aligned Social Media Challenge, that is free, go ahead to WokenWire.com challenge 
And trust me, your relationship with social media might never be the same. A lot of people are doing it all the time and I'm getting tagged, people saying they booked their very first client from doing the challenge and they get so many opportunities and just new possibilities arising from that simple five-day, simple but miraculous process. So head to wokenwire.com slash challenge if you want to immerse yourself into new paradigm social media. All right, on to the interview. Here is my guest, Sky Melter. Sky, welcome to Woken Wired. I'm so excited we are recording this episode after meeting what seems like lifetimes ago, <laughs> in, in reality, a few years ago at Lead with Love conference in Aspen, where I was a speaker and you were a speaker, and I just remember seeing you there on stage, and there was something about how you were sharing. I could just feel the frequency behind it that was so powerful, so I'm very honored and excited to share you with my listeners. Well, thank you so much, Ksenia. It's an honor to be here and have the opportunity to speak with you today. So, Sky, you've held so many different roles on in different sides of the wellness world and beyond. And let's just get right into it. What is it that makes you feel alive now and how do you spend your days? What makes me feel alive is just spirit and the art of creation and being present to just the miracle of life, I would say. I mean, I spend my days, I'm a, a father of four young kids between the ages of one to nine, and that that occupies a good chunk. So between my children, uh, taking care of myself, spending time with my wife, and then my various entrepreneurship um, and business opportunities, it's usually, it's a jam-packed day between those four things. So... In your bio, one of the facts that was quite mind-blowing is that you, in, in your leadership role at Manduka, you grew the revenue over 40 times and had two successful private equity exits. And I want to ask you, you know, what was it about that particular situation that made it so successful? And at the same time, I, I am present to the fact that the industry has evolved so much since that time. So perhaps a better question to ask is, what was the energy and the thinking behind it that could be applied today that you still rely on as you make your investment choices, as you make decisions on joining advisory boards and such? Oh, great question. Well, you know, so I'm a, I love building businesses and the, the, the whole process of what it takes to see a vision, bring the capital to it, hire the team, and watch it come to life. And there's so much that goes behind it. It is incredibly challenging. It's incredibly rewarding. It's inspiring. It's hard <laughs> on top of challenging. And I often feel like, you know, building a business from the ground up as a leader. It's incredibly humbling because um, it's just a process of increasing one's capacity for handling problems and dealing with challenges and going after opportunities. And um, when I met, uh, I was fortunate to meet the founder of Manduka 
you know, the business was figuratively run out of his garage in San Luis Obispo, and he'd spent 10 years building this incredible brand that was known the best kept secret, best yoga mat, or the Taj Mahal of yoga mats, or the Bentley, depending upon who you talk to. And with some partners, we were able to raise some money to purchase the business and partner with Peter and purchase it from him. And, and really, I think Patagonia was a big inspiration because here's this brand that is incredible has incredibly strong values and built a a movement off of this best in class carabiner that's if you track the genesis of patagonia it started as a carabiner and there was this yoga mat that was best in class and an opportunity more and more people were pouring into yoga it was um let's see 2008 when i got involved in manduka and the whole idea was how to create the marketplace for technical yoga equipment equipment that performed that was produced incredibly with a conscious you know incredibly eco responsible and of the highest quality and and to help inspire the practice of yoga so that is that was the beginning of your question but i want to make sure i'm on track so can you go back to what part i haven't answered oh what inspires my work today and what do i take from it Yes. And how do you choose opportunities and what to say yes to? Yeah. I mean, look, I at the end of the day, there's a couple of layers to it. What I witnessed in the growth of Manduka is what the magic that happens when you have an incredibly strong and quality product and a passionate customer and a mission that is bigger than yourself. And I'll never forget when I first started, I'm incredibly, I have a very hard work ethic and I would be at the office at eight and I would leave at 10, which I don't recommend necessarily, but I would just working around the clock and I would be in the office before everybody got there and I would leave, everybody would leave before I left. And in my heart, all I wished for was a team that would work like me. And then I blinked and I had people coming in before eight and leaving after 10, which wasn't good either, right? But the point is, why were they doing it? Because there was a mission that was greater than them. And there was a a heartbeat. And the customer was connected to that heartbeat. And the employees were connected to that heartbeat. And the suppliers connected to that heartbeat. And the investors connected to that heartbeat. And that's really powerful. And so for me, it's about, there's a couple things there. It's it's movements that are mission-oriented and have really high impact. I think that I'm really passionate about helping. I've just learned through my life, I was I had the privilege of growing up with a father who's a doctor in preventive medicine and health and wellness was always on the front of our radar, exercising, eating well, meditation, acupuncture. And I've just been, I've benefited from these practices and I'm so inspired not only to continue to learn about them and integrate them into my life, but help people and help create access to them because there's these very simple tools that make powerful impact on attitude, happiness, just life satisfaction. So I think it's, it's I would guess I would, that's a long way of answering. It's an integration of mission-driven and purpose-driven um, businesses that help people feel better about themselves and have happier, more joyful lives. You mentioned your father, who I've heard about from your wonderful sister, Jess, who is a friend. <laughs> And I'm curious, how do some of the rituals and practices you're pointing to, how do they actually play out to you day to day in your real life? And how do they also help you source energy, even at times when you are working crazy hours? Yeah, that's a great question. 
I think that one, th- I think at, at a fundamental level, what I brought up was brought up with is that discipline around and ritualizing things that help you feel better is, is really important. And I think that like I could track the first third of my life as rebellion against that. You know, I was allergic to yoga and meditation and I was a vegetarian, but I was an unhealthy vegetarian. And, you know, I mean, I, what I'd make unhealthy food choices. And I learned just as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a husband, as a human that wants to enjoy life as a father, that there's no room for error for me, for my energy. So I make choices around how I structure my day to make sure that I optimize energy. And it, it's, you know, it's, I mean, I'm sure you can relate to this and many people can, that my my day is 100% related to how well I do taking care of myself, getting to meditate, exercise, eat the right food, connect with my loved ones. And everything flows from there and, and sacrifice any of those things. I could do it for a day, maybe two, and I start to feel the impact. So I think that was really rooted with me from an early age. And it's something that I really practice on a daily basis. And then uh, you know, growing up in my dad's medical clinic, I really saw the power of meditation and acupuncture and nutrition and how it helped reverse chronic disease. And it inspired me to start, uh, I'm a co-founder of a business called WellSet. And WellSet's mission is to help democratize access to preventive wellness and healthcare. And, you know, there's these incredibly powerful modalities out there. And, and I'm just a seeker of, I just am always interested in meeting and practicing a, a, some type of new healing practice, whether it's cranial sacral work or acupuncture or kinesiology or, you know, uh, you, you name it. I just am always trying um, energy medicine. And they're just really powerful, really amazing healers that are just hard to find sometimes. And these healers are not necessarily not necessarily the best marketers. Some of them are great. And so Wilson was really founded on this mission of helping people onboard themselves into understanding their choices and take responsibility of their health. Because sometimes you might not feel well, but it's not coming up in your blood work as an issue, or you have back pain, but you don't want to take the muscle relaxant that the MD is prescribing you. And what other choices do you have? So, so that's inspired me to to on the mission around WellSet. So it's impacted me there. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll pause at that. All right. There's two questions that I have for you at once. One is, will you walk us through either your morning routine or your evening routine so we get a glimpse into what it actually looks like? Yeah, definitely. So I wake up usually woken up by my daughter. I have two boys and two girls and the girls are early risers and the boys are not. I, I take after my boys. <laughs> so usually 5.30, 5.45, the circus ensues. And the first part of my day is to connect with my kids. I, I, I give my wife some time to so she could meditate and get centered and usually make some breakfast for my kids, make lunches, just be a dad, which I just really love. And then once that's taken care of. I will take some time to exercise. I love high-intensity interval training. I love hot yoga, although that's hard to come by these days. Uh, I love going for a run on the beach. My best mornings are going down to Santa Monica Beach and going for a run and getting some time to do a 10-minute meditation. And then then I start my, my work day. And, you know, so, so anyways, that gets me to through my morning. Now, when you mentioned those healing modalities, I imagine that there were specific experiences that you've had that just really 
showed you the way to Wellset. What comes to mind when I ask you about some of the most memorable and impactful healing experiences that you've had in your life that impacted everything, both your personal life and your business? Yeah, so I mentioned I had this foundation of preventive medicine, and I've had these health moments where, so for whatever reason, growing up, I sustained several leg injuries. I, I broke a leg in high school. I broke an ankle out of college. And I then started practicing yoga, which really helped me bring a level of athleticism back to my life that I really enjoyed because I never really properly rehabbed post. But one of the things that happened is my, my musculoskeletal system was imbalanced. And so I, I ended up injuring myself a lot through yoga, being a type A personality and just like muscling through things and things like I tore my psoas and I broke a rib and over time. And all of this led to really big muscular tension in my back. And I mentioned that, you know, I, I, if I went to my annual physical and asked my doctor, what's, he'd say, what's your biggest complaint? I'd say that. He'd say, take a muscle relaxant. Well, that didn't seem right. And I just started on this journey, deep tissue body work, which I loved and I would do once or twice a week, but it would last, the effects would last like 30 minutes. And then I found acupuncture and acupuncture is one of my favorite healing modalities. It is incredibly restorative. It is holistic so i feel the effects over my whole body and it just really slowed me down and i could i could see there was an effect and it led me in this journey of softer like whereas i in my 20s i would want to go to the you know korean spa and, and get the 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 largest strongest human to walk on my back and suddenly i was doing cranial sacral work acupuncture and these much more nurturing forms that really were the most impactful. And then I met a friend of mine, Lauren Roxborough, who's a um, who's a genius in myofascial release. And between the acupuncture and the myofascial release, I suddenly had my mobility back the way that nothing, nothing had ever happened. So so that was, this is just an example of where I said like, wow, how many people are there like me who have suffered injuries, who have imbalances, who are just enduring because we don't know better than that. And there's these ways to unlock it and there are these healers that can help. Yeah, something that you said about healers not necessarily being the best marketers or also just recognizing that marketing themselves is not the best use of their time. And for some people that is true, for some it's not. Some healers actually love storytelling and building brands online, but I guess that's more of an exception than a rule. So what kind of tools are you offering those healers and, and what is your vision for Wellset? And also, will you talk a little bit about where the platform and the idea started and how it's evolved and pivoted since? Yeah, sure. So um, I think I'll start there. So when I uh, transitioned out of my CEO role at Manduka, I was going to my myofascial practitioner and cranial sacral therapist and chiropractor to, to fix all the things I talked about. And I was just struck, this is a $70 billion industry. There are one in three Americans practice preventive medicine in some way. And the whole answer to how do I find a practitioner is ask a friend. And that was a problem I was really excited to solve. And I met this really amazing, bright woman who I partnered with, Tegan Bukowski, who's the CEO of Wellset. And you know, we, we, we raised some money and, and started the business um, just really to solve that mission. In the first stop, I mean, really was to create a marketplace where 
anybody could go on search back pain from their location and book based on rating social proof ratings and reviews from people they know and and really take that off of Yelp create a network that is trusted and we're in the process of doing it we're still in a very early stage we're in a, a seed stage of our business what we've learned is number one just there there are just tens of thousands of practitioners who are incredibly skilled and powerful in their work that their number one pain point is they need more customers and like you said there's really amazing healers that are really great storytellers probably say that's the exception because the healing artists are devoted to their practice and the study of their practice and and so in along the way what we've gotten very excited about is to help power and empower practitioners to not only find new clients but to help manage and organize their business from scheduling and having a website presence and you know as we look forward managing the relationship with their customers or their clients and protocols etc so we're working on a full suite of offering there and being able to hold events online and monetize their offering to a wider a wider group of people because the other thing we've learned is just it's still a very privileged group because insurance doesn't cover a lot of these modalities and it's not cheap that there's a lot of people who are interested and a lot of people that are unwilling and want to pay the several hundred dollars of uninsured you know fees that it takes and so uh, especially with the onset of covid has been this real discovery that these practitioners can impact a much wider group through teaching online and helping people heal themselves and give themselves massage and meditation and things like that so um, so, so that's where we're at. Yeah, that's so cool. What What have you seen from some of the events that have already happened in your community? What has surprised you? What have been some revelations and discoveries? I think it's the connecting of the dots. I mean, at the end of the day, healers are educators, and the it's going to sound repetitive to what I just talked about, but it's just the. I mean, I'm just really passionate about. We all, one, taking one's own responsibility for their health. And I've witnessed in myself particularly, but see it in others and wanting somebody else to solve, wanting somebody else to help, uh, turning one's power over that way. And what I'm really excited about, I'm watching happen is this concept of the healer and the practitioner empowering the client to heal themselves, to make those choices, to take the power into their own hands. And... I think that's super exciting and it also just you know you can get access to ayurvedic lessons on digestion or tongue health for ten dollars if that's all you could afford and if you're motivated or save up and can go talk to that meet with that practitioner once you have a couple hundred dollars you can do that you know and it really opens up access at this point how do you vet the healers that you accept into your community for any healers out there listening to this episode and thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be part of this? Yeah, I mean, if you go into willset.co, W-E-L-L-S-E-T.co, little commercial there, um, it's pretty clear how you can onboard your practice. And there's a background check that we do. And our team will will vet and screen initially for any big things. And, and yeah, and, and then at the end of the day, what our business is going to, like I said, rely on social proof and recommendations and so it's about how many times you're referred and recommended and ratings and and that's that credibility and trust will be built on mostly that way we we want to we want to purposely not be a curator and be a 
a, a platform where somebody can make their own choices and what resonates with them. That's super powerful. Something you pointed to is it's a twofold situation of, on the one hand, a lot of these alternative services are not covered by insurance, which makes them not you know, accessible to a large majority of people. And on the other hand of that, a lot of the healers just have such a an alive desire to heal and offer their services that a lot of the times they have challenge stepping into their worth and building a practice, a business that is monetarily prosperous. What have you noticed in that regard? So what I'm pointing to is the new paradigm where healers can be confident that they can offer their services to people and be wealthy at the same time healing the planet and being prosperous while doing so. Yeah, so I think like at the end of the day, I think it's very hard for a new practitioner and it depends on the personality type because actually there's an archetype of person that doesn't struggle with it at all, right? They they see value, they're good at selling their services and it, it's an instant boost to success. There's a product that, that is being delivered through the practitioner. It's in the form of a service that has a benefit and it has a value. And I think, so there's a couple of layers to this. I mean, one is just assigning that value, standing for the value. Like the, the ecosystem doesn't work unless the money is exchanged. And so just getting really clear on that and owning that and believing in that. And then the, the other side is it takes, but how do you find ways to convert people and get them to experiencing it so, it's, so the value is undeniable to them? You know, and I think there's a lot to be said about giving, giving away, I don't want to say away, but giving a first session for free or make, just making it easy for customers to say yes so they can experience the power of the work and not even question, is it worth it? You know, so I think that's, and then I think it's like the power of collaboration. Like we're only as strong as our community and it's all an art of accessing more people and who is like-minded. Like one of the things I think is so incredible, what I've been, I opened, my eyes have been opened around WellSet is the hunger and thirst and love of these healing artists to meet each other. And, and who else is working with the same type of customers, but doing different work or who else is doing the same work and, and how can, how can together we impact more people or bring more people into or educate them into what we do. So I think there's a lot of value there. So it's knowing your worth, making your work uh, easily bookable and available, make it easy for people to say yes to experience the shift and also building the community is what I'm hearing. Yep, I think that's a good summary. So within all of that, how do you see social media and the role that it is playing in your work in this industry and beyond? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a very important and powerful way to have a voice, create a platform, reach more people. And it's, it's just the, it's the, it's the, it's a huge way that people learn about and create habits, learn about practitioners, learn about tools, learn about products. And it's, it's essential today. Now, even as I say essential, part of me says, well, it's not essential. It's very, it's a very powerful way to build an audience, but it's not the only way. What are some other ways? 
I think just being really great at what you do. There's there's incredible um, practitioners out there in all modalities, and I'm sure artists and and executives, et cetera, that may not do social media for one reason or another and just are so good at their craft. And they show up every day and they do their work and they make people's day and those people tell other people, you know? And, I mean, that that doesn't change. That That still works. But to amplify boost, accelerate, and and scale social media is a great vehicle. Exactly. I hear you. I always want to, you know, and you mentioned this so beautifully, this idea that you don't have to be doing all the things, social media, the email marketing, all the different platforms. But if you choose to do it, it will amplify and spread your message further and wider. Yes, exactly. And I think it just, it's about asking this question what's my goal and i'm having i mean just just like you you stand for ksenia but being intentional if you're going to do it or if you're not going to do it and what's your purpose and making sure that you work towards that right what is your personal relationship with social media yeah it's i would say i'm on a social media diet right now i've just found through the covid cocoon i will call it and my journey the last couple of years of of finding stillness, uh, that and, and a search for stillness, that I've I'm relying like 99% uh, social, off social media. I, I I engage with it as I need to for my business purposes, um, just to understand brands and what they're doing. But for my personal life, I've chosen to just be more present at the moment. And I think that it's interesting because uh, it's a it's a choice. I it's not a permanent choice. It's just where I am and what I want to do. With my life, and I think the 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 downside to it is I miss the those moments of interaction with my friends and loved ones. But the upside is just having a lot more headspace for being right here. Yeah, it's such a powerful choice. I someone shared with me recently that they got rid of their television permanently, hmm. so there's no watching Netflix or any movies, nothing. And they share with me that just the amount of space and energy that's opened up is tremendous. And I'm very inspired by it, but I don't see myself going on that kind of diet just yet. <laughs> it's, for a, it's for a moment of time or the right person, right time. Yes. And maybe there's pockets of that, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be that drastic. Maybe it's a few days a week. There's no social media and no TV or something like that. It's making me think. Yeah, and I think it's kind of like what are those just rules of engagement that are inspiring that that just work towards what inspires somebody to be their best self, you know? Right, and you mentioned that you do go on social media sometimes for business to notice what brands are up to. If it feels relevant, would you speak to what you're noticing that you think works and other brands and entrepreneurs can be looking up to? I mean, look, I think... At the end of the day, it's just it comes down for me about to authenticity, you know, having a point of view, being vulnerable and brave and real. And those are the brands and people that I admire and admire what they're doing. I think there's a lot of we can see through the buying of followers and the promotions, et cetera. I mean the customer does and so there's a lot of activity there too, and it's not all bad. And, and I think some there's a there's a time and a place for some of the promotional activity or more commercial 
but for me, it's about authenticity. Do you? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. When you say promotions, you're pointing to sponsored posts, and I agree with you. There is definitely this question and this inquiry of how can that be done in a way that is in integrity and creatively expands everyone who both creates it and consumes it. That's really, I think, the future of how sponsored posts and social media integrations, YouTube integrations, all of that will happen because it's clearly not going anywhere. But the way that it is happening, I think, is going to move towards more personalization, creativity, and also long-term partnerships. All right, let's put social media on the shelf. (laughs) What comes to mind when I say expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship? I mean, I think this is part of what motivates me as an entrepreneur and, you know, this idea that, um, I mean, companies, businesses, ideas are, they're people, for lack of a better metaphor, with spirits, with values, and with consciousness. And I think that every business has a consciousness of value structure. I mean, it goes it's much deeper than a culture. And, and what I'm fascinated and excited by and motivated by is how to bring together the consciousness of the business, the mission, motivation, awareness of that business, the employees, the customers, and the money behind it, the investors. Because I think that's a really powerful. And when that's misaligned, then everything is misaligned. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's a long way of saying, I think business has consciousness, has a, con- a business has a consciousness, a brand has a consciousness, and the customer is understanding this more and more and gravitating more and more and voting with their dollars more and more towards that. And the entrepreneurs are realizing it and the investors are realizing it, but this has not been institutionalized. You know, there's still not an operating manual and it requires a lot of bravery on behalf of the investors, on the executives to make those choices that come from a consciousness standpoint versus a fiscal responsibility or what one thinks is fiscal responsibility. Okay, you just opened up Pandora's box of something very big here and I would like to travel a little deeper in it. How would one or how do you get present to that consciousness? Are there particular practices or is it just a gut feeling? How how do you get present to the consciousness of a business like you're speaking to? I mean, I think that, I mean, what what is consciousness? Awareness, right? So I think it's awareness, intentional awareness, and then intention behind the actions of that business, mm. of the choices of the I mean, you just take a business, the, the choices that one makes that go into the product, the the way the product is marketed, the employees, the value structure that's put through the employees, the goals, the, I mean, it's, it all relates, right? I mean, I love this, but it, this uh, saying, how you do anything is how you do everything. And to me, that's where that's like, yeah, so the, the life of the consciousness is rooted. When we when you think about lessons that you've learned on your entrepreneurial business path and through the lens what we just talked about having that alignment between all the components of the business and the humans involved in it what are some of the top lessons you've learned just off the cuff Yeah I mean I think that uh well I go back to how you do anything is how you do everything if it doesn't work to expect employees to sacrifice at all costs and have a culture that is vibrant and healthy. It doesn't work to, I mean, the old school model of, 
ruthless return on money at all costs. That model doesn't hold up if you want to build a great brand and a great culture. It's the customer can see through it. The employee can see through it. So you were saying, what are some of the things that I've learned? And it's how you do anything is how you do everything. How you treat your employees is is what you're going to get back. It's I think that the other thing that I've learned that has been really powerful lesson is, and I mentioned it already on this call, is that it's I think historically I know as you know, and I've I've had executive leadership roles in so many different types of businesses, and I've often found that as a leader, I have to be this buffer, whether it's between the investors and the employees or the customer and the supplier. And we're taught to talk different languages. You know, the investor wants three times return on the money. They don't care how you get there. The employee wants a bigger salary. I don't care how to get there. Like that, that doesn't work. What works is one language, one narrative, one value, and everybody speaking that same language. And that I think is something that the business world is learning right now in various forms. You know, like it's, it's uncharted territory, but there's a lot of leaders, there's a lot of powerful investors, and there are a lot of big brands that are catching on to that. So, I mean, it's, it's truth and transparency, I guess. That's my rambling way of saying that and real alignment of, from the customer, values alignment from the customer through the investors. How does that look on a practical level? And how have you seen that particularly unfold? in the past year as things have gone more and more virtual. Which part of that? The transparency and instilling or inviting in that environment of everyone acting on the same value. Yeah. I mean, I think that I can speak to it longer than this one year. I mean, I think there's a pioneering aspect of it. And when I say that, I, I, I come back to my experience at Manduka and like the manufacturing industry is highly untransparent. It is very hard to, unless you own the entire supply chain, to know where your raw materials come from, who your raw materials are. If suppliers are shortcutting, if they're saying what they mean, like it's just hard. So all these things can be put into place. There can be third-party certifications and there can be requirements for reporting and there can be you know, raw material meetings with your raw material suppliers. But at the end of the day, the factories don't want to be transparent about it. They just want to say something costs $5 or, you know, and, and that's been institutionalized over hundreds of years. And so why do I bring up that example? Because there's a pioneering aspect. There's an emphatic commitment to, no, I'm, it's not okay with me. Like, it's not okay with me to be talking about one thing with one constituent and something else with another. It's not okay to say we're a transparent company to the customer, but to not know who the raw material suppliers are, right? And and so I think when you say how does it come into play, it's that there's a it's a mission and it requires just like leadership, the integration of all these constituents and bringing them behind the same mission. And it's a practice. It's a daily commitment to that. Yeah, I can sense that energy of pioneering. You're right. The way that business has been done up until now is shifting so rapidly and there's so many new ways unfolding and we get to create them as we go, choice by choice, conversation by conversation. And that's why I'm so grateful that we're having this conversation now so that, you know, there's a lot of solopreneurs, entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast who might think it's very lonely because you don't get to 
talk too much about the behind the scenes and the big vision, but you speaking to this and to the larger scale of how this new paradigm is unfolding, I think is so important and impactful. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think because as I listen to you talk, the other thing that comes up to me in lessons is just intuition, you know, mm-hmm. really valuing intuition more than more than the head or, you know, what your head says. And I think that's something that more and more people are realizing, but it's not, you don't learn that in business school or in economics, you know, but, but that I fundamentally believe is a compass to help this. And, and also, I just want to add one more thing, which is like, you know, the classic form of, I grew up through as an investment banker and I studied economics and you make projection models and you, those projection models run the way you run your business. And you're projecting things that are two, three, five years down the road. Like who even knows what that's going to look like, right? It's important because you want to have an idea, but it takes all the spontaneity away from the moment. And the real art of creation and and listening to one's intuition and what's in front of them and where the opportunity is. And so I think Silicon Valley has done a great job with the whole concept of agile companies, but creating a new paradigm, which is about being right here, right now and addressing the greatest task at hand and allowing the outcome to be so much bigger than probably what was on that projection model because there's room for spontaneity, for listening, for adjusting, and for moving towards where the motion and action is. Yeah, a recent guest, Dr. Pooja Amy Shah said, if you plan everything, you might miss something more exciting. So that invitation to always leave leave space for miracles and for the unimaginable and for what's meant to be there because what's meant to be there can't always be planned. And I love that you bring that up. Yeah, it's really powerful. And And very anti what I learned, at least, in my classical study of business. Right. Yeah, I think it all is changing. I'm so excited to see how that's... I mean, I think a lot of young entrepreneurs, their business school is social media because there's just Mm. so much actionable knowledge that you can take and start implementing right away that those old structures of education aren't as relevant in a lot of ways. But I also want to go back to what you said about intuition, because as you spoke, you know, I sense that there may have been some situations in your life where you didn't rely on intuition. Would you be willing to speak to them? Oh, gosh, we need about three hours here. (laughs) I mean, I think that like, as I mentioned, I feel like the world, the life of an entrepreneur is this iterative cycle of growing one's capacity for problems and opportunities and and lessons and it's super humbling right and i just think that whether it's hiring somebody that you just know your gut is screaming it's not the right person or taking somebody's money or agreeing to a plan or believing in somebody i mean at the end of the day i just I've learned so much by looking back at that voice and saying, what did that voice say and why didn't you listen to it more clearly? And so my my journey as an entrepreneur, especially in the, the last five years, has been less about my strong, I have a very analytical personality and the practice, because this is a practice of listening to my gut first. How do you create the space for that? Meaning, does it come through your intuition? Does it come through in meditation? Does it come through on your runs or just spontaneously as you're with your kids? Well, I guess I have several answers to that. I think that intuition's there if you listen to it and it, it has varying levels of strength. 
you know? So I, I just find when I've made those decisions that could have been better and I knew better than that, I, my intuition was right there if I wanted to recognize it. And then I think that meditation, the practice of sitting still, of emptying one's thoughts, I personally don't find that that 10 minutes, like all my intuition comes through. I find that when I take that time, I get really clear messages from my intuition at other times of the day when I'm least expecting it. So that's been my experience, but I'm trying to listen more to it. So I'm just a student here. Sounds like a high ROI there with those 10 minutes. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, it's so simple. You're right. It's sometimes we expect to see that return right there and then, but it's just like any smart business decision. It's about the long run and it's about making the right choices that will pay off and unfold over time. So thank you for bringing that example of meditation and intuition as an example of that. You're welcome. So Sky, as we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? No. All right. And I say that because I I was hoping we'd talk about the consciousness of business and we did and we explored a lot of other territory that I think is really fun. So yeah, no. I love the firm and powerful sense of completion, all about that. And I'm so grateful for your time, for your wisdom, for your presence, for most importantly, for just living this and bringing this into the world of business as a leader, as a father, as a pioneer. So I can't wait to see what happens with WellSet and any other projects that you will be taking on. And thank you again for this conversation. Christina, thank you so much. It's my honor and I'm very inspired by your work and the trail that you're blazing. And yeah, just thank you for your for your great questions today and the time. Thank you, Sky. Have a magical weekend. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on WokeAndWired.com and say hello on Instagram. Find me at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now. <laughs>